such power in our praise and our worship. Every time that we obey what the Lord has told us to do, there's power that's released. There's freedom that comes in. There's change that happens. Things that weren't supposed to be able to change are changed supernaturally by His presence, by His power, by His ability and not our own. Thank God we all have abilities. But none of us have the full capacity of the ability of the Holy Spirit at work through a heart of faith. And when we tell those stories and we hear people tell their stories of what God has done in and through their lives, it's just, it releases. I don't know, we were singing what an awesome God and I just had this crazy little thing run through my head. Can you imagine being like one of the, I don't know, distracting spirits or whatever that was sent to kind of keep track of us today, make sure we didn't get too far into the presence of the Lord and what a miserable morning he must have had. <laughs> what a miserable morning those poor guys had. And I just thank God that when he arises, there's only one response that the enemies. It doesn't say just one enemy. It says enemies, plural. It says, let God arise and his enemies scatter. Just like the darkness scatters before a light bulb when it's turned on. They only have one response. They have no grounds to stay where he is. When God arises, his enemies will flee. I just pray this morning that you're excited about the reality of which side you're on now. If you've received Jesus Christ, if you are in the kingdom of light, you are on the side that wins. Not just someday, but now, until then, and then, of course, forever and ever, we will always be with the one who has conquered death, sin and the grave. There is nothing left to defeat. He's already disarmed all the principalities and powers. He's made them powerless against the word of faith. It's just on us now to stand up and to be willing to take our position against those things that are trying to destroy not just our own lives personally, but this planet that we're on, the people who live here. Sin has created a mess of this beautiful planet. And we're here under God's jurisdiction and his authority to set right the things that have been made wrong by sin and the devil and his hordes. And these little moments of worship, they're just snapshots, I believe, of what's possible when people come together and dwell together in unity and focus our affection and attention on one name only, the name that's above every name, the awesome God that doesn't just reign from heaven above. He does that, but he also reigns through his church. I love that song, but I wish there was like one more phrase. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above and in his church below says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, against those who have called themselves his and who he has called his own. He doesn't just reign from heaven above. He reigns in the hearts of those who are willing to follow his lead and to be willing to take his name and to live it, share it with others. I'm so blessed by the stories and testimonies we've already had this morning. I just am so grateful not just that those events happened, but that folks were willing to step up and to, to share them. But I just, I want to go on with what I feel the Lord has given me today, but I want to read you a letter that was sent to me by a dear, dear brother, someone who when the Holy Spirit moves upon him, even in his 90s, he still comes forward and dances. When the Holy Spirit comes upon him, still is willing to say what the Lord has told him to say. Even if he's said it three times before, it doesn't matter. He's just obedient. He's obedient. 
like children. Is it okay if they just tell you once, I love you, Mommy, I love you, Daddy, and that's the last time you ever hear it? No. There's something repetitive about this walk of faith. There's something about the heart of a child that's never bored with the simple things. They just want to play another, they want to read the book, the same book again. You can read the same children's book 400 times and they still want, this is their favorite, they want you to read it again. I believe God's looking for that in the heart of believers, that we don't need some brand new thing. That's why at the last days there will be everyone led astray because their ears are tickling for something new. When what's already been given was so majestic, all we have to do is just recite it. And remind ourselves and stir ourselves up in our most holy faith by way of reminder of how good he actually is, about what he's accomplished on the cross, about the promises that he's given to us, that through these we become partakers of heaven here on earth. The scripture in this letter, it's a fairly short letter, but I I feel led to read this to the congregation because it wasn't just for me, it's for the body. In Matthew 3.11, it says, He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is John the Baptist referring to the one who would come after him, whose shoes and his sandal straps he wasn't willing to e- worthy to even touch. And this is a prophetic word. It says, Are you ready for the bridegroom to come for you as a bride? Is your lamp ready? Is it trimmed? Are there things within you that need to be cleansed, done away with by the fire of my Spirit? Individually, and as a church, and as a people. What I have not been able to achieve through the outpouring of gifts and power, I will achieve in a baptism of fire. I ask you not to fear this, for I, your Father, will sovereignly work in your mind, in your spirit, and in your body. I will pour forth upon you an anointing that will bring you victory where you would have known defeat, light where you would have been in darkness, knowledge where you wouldn't have known what to do. That is a powerful prophetic word from our brother Lou, and I just feel to read the rest of it too. So here you go. There's a fire that needs to be fanned rather than extinguished. The fire I'm referring to is the fire of the Holy Spirit that is kindled in the heart of every person who fully surrenders their heart to Jesus Christ. You know there's something magical about a fire, a campfire. As the initial spark turns into a roaring fire, it's able to draw people around it with laughter, stories, and great times of fellowship. The heat and the light from the fire radiates through the campsite. However, as time passes, the flames tend to die down. So someone needs to restack the fire with more wood. That's usually my job. Then the fire is blazing, radiating its heat and light once again. Actually, the Christian lives are a bit like a campfire. We can be on fire for God, radiating Christ to those around us. But over time, if we don't rekindle the fire or keep it blazing, the fire within us can flicker and die. Our desire to serve God can wane. Our desire to follow Christ can waver. Other things will take priority. Before we know it, the fire's out and we've lost our way. In past years, while the children were growing up and still home, we as a family were avid campers. Camping was not only an affordable way to vacation as a large family, but we especially loved the camping environment. One of the things we really enjoyed while camping was the campfire. Sitting around the campfire in the evening was a favorite time. But one thing we had to be attentive to was the fire. As soon as it started to flicker or die down, it was time to put more wood on it. The same is true with the spiritual fire within us. It's most important that we keep the fire burning and strong. When that fire begins to flicker and show signs of dying, we need to restack the fire with the word of God, 
with prayer and spiritual participation so that it will blaze strong again. In Jesus' love, Lou. Thank you for sending me that, Lou. I thought you'd enjoy hearing that. So clearly we can't use age as a disclaimer for why we're not on fire for the, whole, for the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just appreciate that every so and again I get a letter from our dear brother and just seeing you dance this morning up here, it just, I don't know, it triggered a memory of when I used to be in the front here in Pastor Vaughn, six foot four with pretty much no knees left from playing rugby and it was really painful for him just to walk sometimes and he'd get injections to try to deal with the pain and, and yet certain songs like Dance Floor would just would come and then he'd, next thing you know he'd be dancing around and jumping as best as he could and knowing how much he was going to pay for that later. I always, it was about 10, 12 years ago by now, I always thought in my heart, like, there will never be a time up here in the front where these children are jumping where I will not be jumping too. Because my knees, they don't feel great, but they don't feel like I know his did. And he managed to find a way, just because it's what you do. If there's a celebration to be had, it's what you do, you move. You can't make it a religious doctrine, but there's just something in the heart of a worshiper that just desires to be abandoned in the presence of the one that you're worshiping. You know, I think about the prophets of Baal and everything. When they were trying to get his attention, they're cutting themselves and bleeding. And what level the world and the lost will go through to draw the attention of who they believe is their supernatural being. And yet sometimes as believers, we struggle just to raise a hand or say, Lord, I surrender. And I just feel to say that there was something that just sparked in my heart as I watched our dear brother Lou in his 90s now up here dancing with a little bit more than I was even doing, thinking, I've got something to look forward to. There's hope for all of us. And I just know that last week I, I dove into something. We started in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and talking about how it's our obligation, it's our required obedience to praise, and we were created and re recreated for the purpose of proclaiming his praises so that the world could see that. And we talked about promises and how God relates to us through promise, the land of promise in the Old Testament, and how we have the Holy Spirit of promise now because the things that God has given to us come through way of promise. And now it's on us to believe or disbelieve the promise. That is the gist of the rest of our Christian walk of faith. He's made the promises. You can read them. Can't add to that. They've already been written and they've been recorded, so we don't have to debate about whether they're there or not. They are there. Peter says that through them we partake of the divine nature, the godliness that's prepared for us. All things have been given, but the access, the access to that and the fulfillment of that in our lives comes through our belief or not. And so where does the balance of the responsibility lie now? He does the work. Don't get confused. He continues to do the work, and he will do the work until that day when we are completely found in that eternal place. The sanctification is, it happened, it's happening, and it will happen until that final moment. But we have been set apart. We've been called separate. We've been placed into a separate category, no longer in darkness, but now in light. And he's the one that brings us to that point, but we have to participate. He's not going to drag us kicking and screaming all the way through this walk of faith. We're in it because we desire to be in it or we're out of it because we'd stop believing in it and we'd rather find some other way to live out the rest of our time. It is on us whether or not we obey and follow or whether we just sort of watch others do it. 
And this has been a big challenge for me. It's been a challenge, and I, as we begin talking about promise, I begin to talk about salvation, how it's a free gift. And we looked at Ephesians 1, and we looked at a few passages, and I realized before we move on in Peter, I want to just solidify this. And I don't know where else to go. The New Testament's full, but I don't know of a better place uh, to go other than Romans. And we're not going to do a study all the way through Romans, but I just want to highlight something very specific and very basic about our faith. And about our salvation, about our right standing with God now. Because there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of books being written and there's a lot of speakers who can persuade in every different direction. And I'm not trying to persuade you in anything this morning. I'm just trying to let the word of God say clearly what it says and pray that your ears will be open to hear it and to receive it by faith. Romans 4 sets the stage for Romans 5. There's this idea that you can simply believe God and be saved. It's called justification by faith. It's what distinguished the Protestant movement from the Catholic Church of the time. That there was no longer a justification according to how good you could be in the kind of works. It was no longer a justification by works message but it was a justification by faith. And the Apostle Paul writes extensively. You can't read one of his letters without reading this theme coming through it. But in the book that he writes to Romans, the letter that he writes to the church in Rome, an Italian church, writing as a Jewish person to a Gentile church, he needed to include the foundation for where all of this confidence comes from. That in a church in Italy, what would they care about Hebrew customs and culture? He had, but but the, this, this faith reality that we have, Jesus, the Messiah, he was the Messiah to the Jews. He came for the Jewish nation. He came for the Israelite people. It extended beyond them once he was, you know, his ministry was completed. And that's what Paul's primary gift and call was to go to the Gentiles while the rest of the disciples and the apostles primarily went to the Jewish people. But there was something in this that he needed to connect back to the very beginnings of this because if you miss the essence of why it is that you can be saved, you miss the entire power and the the ability to walk in it. And so for years, the Israelite nation, they walked and they believed that they had favor with God through the Ten Commandments and through other commandments they had added to it and their ability to follow them. Jesus comes along and he says, there's a way that Abraham was saved. And it wasn't because he was doing anything right. He was an idol maker. He was uncircumcised. He was not. This was before all that part came in. He just simply heard from God and he believed him. Romans 4 verse 3 says this. What does the scripture say? And this is back into Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What did he believe God about? That in his old age he would have a son. A son of promise. And from that son a nation would be born. That the, the descendants of that people group would just be more new in the, beyond the stars of the sky, beyond the sands of the seashore. There would just be this uncountable mass of people that would come from this old person well beyond the years of bearing children, and his wife, who also was beyond the years of bearing children. And this promise comes from God that from you, Abraham, I'm going to birth the future plan for the planet. A people who will be my people will come from your loins, even though they're dead and they're done. And the crazy thing is that it says that he believed God, and it didn't guarantee that he got a son. It said it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
Is it possible that God is still just looking for people who believe what he says? And we've made it about other things, about worship sets, prophetic words, books, Bible studies, fastings, prayings. Is it possible that what God's actually looking for is just, do you believe me? Am I trustworthy? Am I faithful? Do I follow my word to perform what I said I will do? And as you read through Scripture and the stories and the miracles of the New Testament that the early church and that Jesus worked himself, you'll, you'll find a common theme. They just simply heard the word and they believed it. Amen. Wouldn't it be just like the enemy to try to help us make it about something else than our simple belief or unbelief? I love the man who was confronted with a problem with his son that, was, that he was tormented by this condition and Disciples couldn't do anything about it, and Jesus comes and delivers him from this, this, this absurd possession of sorts. But he tells the father, after the disciples couldn't do it, he said, all you have to do is believe. And the man's like, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. That simple act of humility caused his son to be delivered. Brought Jesus' action to bear and his power and authority to bear on the situation that nobody else could do anything about. Not that he believed even 100%, because if you're not careful, you'll make it, well, I don't know if I really believe it 100%. Neither did this man, but he acknowledged that he didn't. And he said, Lord, I believe, but if I'm going to be honest, there's still a part of me that's, eh, would you help me with that part too? Humility is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's the, it's the distinction between the thief on one side of Jesus on the cross and the one on the other side. The one was saved. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. Did he, did he, say that, did he confess his sins? Did he, did he get baptized in water? No. He told the other guys, like, why are we picking on this guy? It's obvious he doesn't deserve what he's getting. He's a good person. We're sinners. We deserve this. We, they knew what they had done. He said, we deserve the punishment. He doesn't deserve this. You can just tell he doesn't. Jesus, just based on that, said he, he believes that I'm good. He believes who I am. You're going to heaven now. What if the entrance into this kingdom of faith is actually that? And what if we miss that entrance and then we try to build on something that's just not quite all there because the cornerstone is Jesus. And if you build on anything else, it can't go very far before it's going to topple because he's the one that we build on. And if we don't build on him, I mean, it's not going to stand. We made a statement from Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit of promise in Ephesians 1.14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? It's a who. God answers most of the problems if you begin to look through the reality of this journey, that it's not easy, that it's challenging, that we're going to go through waters, but they're not going to overflow us, that we're going to be in rivers, but he's going to be there with us. We're going to go through fire. As Isaiah 43, we read that. The flame's not going to burn against us. But we still, as humans, we always come back to something that's more material and more practical, and we miss the essence of what he's trying to tell us. That if we have him, we have everything. That if anyone's in Christ, you're there. 
and Christ is in you, that's your, that's, that's your ticket to glory. That's your hope of what's going to happen in your future, no matter what this world tries to convince you of. It happens to Thomas. Thomas can't figure out when Jesus said, I'm going away, I'm going to pray. He's like, well, how are we going to get there? We don't know where you're going to be, and we don't know the way to get there. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't tell him how to get there. He just says, hey, buddy, it's me. Our how-to questions are answered with a who answer. It's Jesus. It's him. When we have him, we have everything. As we heard the testimony this morning, I feel like there's just this, it's human nature to want to learn. And now that we have Google and we have these search engines that can bring all this information into us with just a few taps of our thumbs or now just our voice, we can just request it and it'll even tell it to us. We don't have to read it anymore. And we can have all this information and all this knowledge, but this was never meant to be a movement about knowledge and about information and about how-tos. It was about who. You can read all that you want to read about, uh, pick your Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, I don't know, whoever. Why is, I don't know why I'm picking guys, but anyway. <laughs> Must have needed a giggle. You can pick what you can study them for your whole life and never meet them. You can know more about them than they know about themselves. You know, there's a lot of there's people that just people that follow them and nitpick every little thing they do. They don't even know they're on film. They don't even mean photographed, but they know more about them than maybe they even know about themselves. <laughs> and never meet them. Can you imagine if that's possible in this walk of faith? That you could study, you could memorize the scriptures. I know it can happen because it happened to the Jews that Jesus came and gave his life for. He wept over Jerusalem. He says, you didn't see the moment that I came to redeem you and to save you. I wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't have me. Because they were looking for something more grand and more impressive and more full of information. And they couldn't see that he was standing right there talking to him. And when he was, they tried to push him over a cliff. Talk about missing your chance. Why? They learned so much about Messiah and what he would look like when he would come, what he would do to their enemies, how he would influence their culture and their nation, and yet he shows up in the middle of them and they're like, well, the best thing we can do with you is kill you because you're just in the way of real progress. And what did he tell them? For the Father so loved this world that he gave me that all who would dare to believe in me He didn't say recite this or that or memorize this or pray and fast. He just said, if anyone who would believe in me would not perish, but have the kind of life that never ends. A life that never ends was the promise of eternal life that he reveals in John. This is the promise, eternal life. You can't get any more of a promise than that. And it doesn't come to those who attend church. It doesn't come to those who pray prayers and who give generously and who build big buildings and have great ministries and write lots of books. It comes to those who believe. The goal is not to have you feel excluded, but please include yourself. All you have to do is believe. And if you're not there, all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. To be honest... I have some unbelief too. He can handle your honesty. He can handle your humility. He cannot handle our pride. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You study his miracles. It wasn't the proud that got it. It wasn't the learned that got it. It was the sick who knew they needed a doctor that got their miracle. 
So Romans 4 sets the stage. It begins to talk about how Abraham is justified, not because of circumcision, not because of anything great that he did, but he heard God, he believed him, and he didn't even get it all right after that because he tried to make the promise come true without just simply letting God do it in his own time, and he made more of a mess. But Romans chapter 5 is set up by Romans chapter 4, and so I would encourage you, you, you really need to read Romans 4, 5, and 6. It's can't cover it all now. Before I go to five, four, chapter 421, or 420, he says, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving the glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do you believe that God's able to perform what he said he can do? We have a great song that we sing about that. I think it's an amazing distinction. It doesn't even say that he believed that God was going to do what he had said he was going to do. He said he believed he was able to do it. That's got to be an on-ramp for at least everybody in the room. Can we at least hypothetically say, God, I'm not seeing it, but I have to believe that you're able to do it. When Abraham did it, it was counted to him as righteousness. There's a lot of people that would like to make it a very high bar. But I don't think that message will change the world. I think the message of whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life is the on-ramp that this world needs to hear about. From there, the Lord can do what he needs to do. And I'm just going to read Romans chapter 5 in light of the few things that I've said already. We'll see how far we get through. It doesn't need much addition or explanation. It's written so beautifully. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that's what Romans 4 does. It sets up the reasoning behind the legal reality of being justified by faith, not by works. Having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our sister was talking about. When she couldn't explain what it was, but she just knew that she had finally found the peace that she sought through meditation and everything else that was going on in her life for 30 years. That's a long time to look for. Thank you. I'm going to say it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a rejoicing when you have hope that you can't muster if you're hopeless. You'll never see a hopeless person rejoicing. We rejoice because we have hope, not just hope that we're going to have a better planet or it's going to last a few more millennia because we take good care of it. All those things are important, but our hope is not in anything of this earth. It's in the glory of God. 
that the one who made this one's making another one that's better without sin and without anything else. A new heaven and a new earth that Peter talks about. Verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. You can only glory in a tribulation if you get the second part of this verse. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. It's this amazing loop. Back to hope. Hope in the glory of God, not just in the situations of this life. Verse 5 says, now hope, this kind of hope does not disappoint. Why doesn't it disappoint? Because why? Does everybody know the next piece? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise who was given to us. Do you know all you have to do is ask? Why don't we make this just a morning where we simplify a lot of things? Have not because you ask not. If anyone asks their dad for bread, are they going to give him a stone or a scorpion? Or Luke 11, he says, any one of you, if you ask my father, will he not give you the Holy Spirit? Just ask. Don't, don't complicate it. Let me pause here and go to Hebrews chapter 6. I really want to let the Word of God preach this morning as much as I can. I don't like arguing with people. I like when they argue with the Bible. It's so much easier. <laughs> Hebrews 6.11. I don't know about you, but I want to put my hope in something beyond just what I see on the news and the people that are supposedly there to help make things hold together because they have no clue what they're doing. It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He's just going to go through all the cures and how through faith and patience. Yes, we believe, and there's a patience that has to follow that. It says this in verse 13, for when, Ab for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's like, I don't know, I can't look. There's nothing created that I can swear by. I'll just use me. And then Jesus shows up a couple thousand years later as the proof that he wasn't just playing around. He said, you want to guarantee this is going to be fulfilled? I'll do it at my own cost. I'll do it at the cost of my own son's life. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. It might take him centuries or thousands of years, but every promise he makes in this book is going to come to pass, whether you believe it or not. It just determines which side of the victory or the defeat you're going to find yourself on. He says, I'll guarantee it myself. I'll swear by my own name that my promise will be fulfilled. And then Jesus pitches up and gives his life a ransom for many. Listen, verse 14, saying, surely, blessing, I'll bless you, multiplying, I'll multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath by confirmation is for them an end of all disputing. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the unchangeability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. 
that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation or hope who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He's, he is the who that guarantees where we're going. It's what Paul was talking about when he wrote Ephesians. He's like, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Jesus says, I am the way that you need to follow to get to where you're going. Every time there was a question. Remember the disciples wanted to know when. When's the end of all this stuff? When is the end going to really come? They wanted like stuff that you could put on a calendar. And what does Jesus say? The answer was never even, it was a who. He said, my father's the only one that knows that. The answers our soul desperately wants, they all go back to God. They go back to a who, not a what or a how or a when or even a why. It's because he's working something together. He has a plan in play. He has something that he's trying to accomplish through hardship, yes, through tribulation, yes. But there's a hope that's being refined in us that comes through the character that's developed in these processes. And I'm telling you, it's faith and patience where we inherit the promise. Verse 6, of back to Romans chapter 5. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one person die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. It's talking about would you give your life for somebody? Would you take a bullet for someone? Maybe for a righteous, scarcely somebody... Perhaps for a good one, somebody may, may dare. There's a big question mark there. And verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates. He fulfilled the covenant that he makes with Abraham. He demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath that's coming through him. For if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The message of the gospel is a message of Jesus dying so that we could live. We're alive in Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. All you have to do is believe it or unbelieve it, disbelieve it. Just pick one. You're better off on one side or the other. Humility can come when you realize you're lost and you need help. It can't come when you think you have it all figured out and you're trying to wait for everyone else to catch up. Not only that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We'll finish in the next few verses here. Therefore, just as though, sorry, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death came through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. People are still wandering around, like, what, what's wrong? I don't know, something's wrong. What's wrong with the world? Why is it? Romans 5:12. 
If you really want answers and you go to the word for an answer, you can have an answer in one verse. If you want to dispute it and argue it and intellectualize it and try and go, then help yourself. But the reason why this world is in the mess that it is, is right there. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death came through sin and thus sin and death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him, Jesus, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, Adam, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Many of us have no problem seeing what a mess things are and saying, okay, sin caused all that. But we then would struggle with the answer of the correction and the, the healing that brings that back to right. It's just Jesus. And the grace of God. There's the problem. This world's under the curse of sin. It's falling apart. It's coming apart, it seems. People are acting like mere beasts. Humans made in his image are being led into behaviors and, and, and stuff that's just beastly. It's homo sapien behavior. It's just another primate. No distinction. And they're being taught that as small children, unfortunately. You're just a primate. Just do whatever you want. Nothing really just no, doesn't matter. But the answer is very simple. The grace of God and the gift, by the grace of the one man, Jesus, it can abound to everybody. Everybody can fall in sin. Everybody can redeem by grace. It's just a matter of whether we believe it or not. Verse 16 says this, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in this life now through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift comes to all men, resulting in justification of life. Do you see the two sides of this? Once you see it, it's just like, oh. Until you see it, it just sounds like maybe there's a lot of words that I'm saying that don't make a lot of sense. But when you see the simplicity of what's happened, there was death and there was life. Jesus said, hey, choose life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you can have life and have it abundantly. But as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's verse 19. We'll stop there. Folks, I don't know what, I mean, we heard the word come this morning. What are we waiting for? I have to ask myself that question. I don't know what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. That would be amazing. I guess the question is, how do we wait? The prophetic word that I, that I read says that we need to have our lamps trimmed, that we need to be in a state of awareness, that it's dark out there. Therefore, if you want to shine, there's preparation required. You've got to have oil in the lamp. The wick has to be trimmed. You've got to have enough on reserve so that you're not out looking for it in the last minute when the door's already locked and now it's too late. The bridegroom comes and you're out. These things, are, these things are the words of Jesus. These are the warnings that he gave to those who would be found in the final hours of this planet. All I can say is I want to be found in that place of being baptized by the Holy Spirit of fire, that the things that don't need to be there, fire just seems to know what to do with. 
Fire doesn't need an invitation to burn or not to burn something. If you put it in the fire, if it's flammable, it's going to burn. Some of the attitudes, some of the preconceived notions, some of the, well, I already read that once. Maybe you read the Bible. Maybe you got it all the first time. That's incredible. (laughs) For those who've read it dozens of times, every time I talk to one of those folks, they say every time I read it, it's like it's more opened up than I ever thought it could be, and there's just more and more layers. It's not about getting more holy. It's about having a hunger to want to know that you're walking in the right way that leads to life and not in the course of this world which leads to death. But there's a patient endurance that happens. And I don't know about you, but if you, if you don't enter in with the humility of heart and say, Lord, I just believe. I've got no place else to turn. You have the words of eternal life. I'm going to choose to believe these. Then I have to believe that the same spirit that drew my heart to that place of humility is the same spirit that will help me walk through and find the patience to get to the end so that the fullness of the inheritance is evidenced in my life and in your life. Let's all stand together this morning. was able to get away for two nights this week to a water park and there was a proverb on the wall that didn't say who it was from but I have recognized this to be so true for my own life. It says if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I don't know about you, I can relate to some of those times where you just want to go run in the store and grab a few things and get out. If you bring the whole family with you, there's no such thing as just running in and running out. What? Just making sure she's not throwing anything at me. Just before we close, before we close, I want to just give our brother Jared a quick opportunity to just make us aware of a way that we can go together with what our team who's going to be unleashed on Poland in a couple weeks now. Um, there's just an opportunity for us to go together with what they're doing. Could you grab that microphone, brother? And I just want him to just take a couple minutes and just share this with us. I figured if I got everybody standing, you know, he wouldn't, probably wouldn't take too long because I've never had him stand up and take a minute. I just. Is it on? Is it on? It's on. I don't know how you hear a message like that. And now I want to give your all to Christ. I'm up here to share about something else real fast, but I just got to know. Your friends got to know. Your family's got to know. Your neighbors got to know. There's only one freedom, and it's in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Don't take the words that you hear on a Sunday morning for granted. Because they don't come from any other source. Gosh, is amazing. He's probably my best friend. He's just, he's a good man, but he's not God. But the words that he shares on a Sunday morning comes from the Father. The jokes are him. 
But I hope if you don't already recognize when an anointing and, and, and someone's carrying the power and the presence of God and they're speaking to you, to open your ears and listen. It's not because he's great. It's because what's in him is great. Who is in him? Thank you, Jesus. Who is the answer? I came up here to... I'm a mess. Words spoken here today, go home and rewatch it and rewatch it again. That's one of the purest messages of the gospel of Jesus Christ I've ever heard in my life. I'm here to tell you that we're, most of you know, we're taking a team of 26, the number's up to now, to Poland. Wow, 26? We leave on the 22nd. But you need to know two things. One out of the 26, I think 20, I think 20 are from this house. Mm. Don't mind the tears. I'm really excited about what God's doing, but I'm here to ask for your help. And a couple of our team members still need help. But Rise Nations, we were contacted by the pastor just the other, yesterday. Yesterday? And they still need help. Hmm. In certain situations, I wouldn't even ask. But for this, I'm asking for your help. I'm even going to do something I would never do. We need, we need about $10,000 to help. We need more supplies. We have plenty. Don't worry, team. You're going to be plenty busy. But we need more. You know, first time in my life I've ever asked. But I'm asking for your help. If you know someone, I'm asking for your help. As Rise Nations, we need your help. My wife and I do this and have done on our own dime. That's why I work when I'm home. But Rise Nations need your help. I need your help. I'm not emotional about that. I just, because we want to take this. Yes, we're doing construction. Yes, we're doing those things. But we want to take this message everywhere we go. As Rise Nations, everywhere we go. Because we're not Rise Nations. We're children of God. We have an organization called Rise Nations. Just like this house is called King's Fire Church. Mm -hmm. We have an organization, but we're the body of Christ that goes ye therefore. What Jesus said, to go ye therefore. Everyone coming to Poland is going ye therefore. And now you may swing a hammer and sling some paint and build a wall or run electrics or plumbing or everything else I know that we're going to be doing. But you're bringing an answer, the light of Christ, to those who need help in a time of need. When I needed Jesus, he came to me. Mm. They've asked for help, so we're going to bring bodies, but we're bringing the glory of God when we go. So I ask you to consider prayerfully. You can find us at risenations.org. It's R-I-S-E, nations, with an S, dot org. You can give here at the church. I know just tell them it's for us. If you want to support us monthly, you can do that online. You can send a check. I don't really care. We need your help. We just need your help. So I ask for it. Because if I can't ask at home, this is home for us. If I can't ask at home, forget asking someone I don't know. 
Some of you think it's easier the other way. It shouldn't be. Mm. It should be easier at home. I thank you for your time. Mm. But please, if you don't hear anything I said, listen to this word again. Listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Bob. All right. That was pretty clear. Appreciate you doing that, brother. And it's not easy to do. I know sometimes it's, it feels challenging to give, but it's, especially I think here in America, it's hard to ask. I know this is good soil. I know this is going to produce a harvest. And I'm just going to say this, not as a prophet of doom or gloom, but because I've read the book and I've watched the way the Lord works with people groups and I can confidently say that there will be a day when we'll want to have a harvest where people will see our distress and we'll be able to receive some help coming from out of area. Can you imagine being someone fleeing from one country to another because they're just bombing your apartment houses and things are flying and bullets are everywhere and your only hope of surviving is to grab your kids and just try to get across the border of the country that you find yourself in? It's, yeah, in books from like the world wars, but like this year, like now on the planet. And these people are displaced. They're in places where they need simple things like a roof to go home to, stuff that we wake up to every day and we maybe even complain about sometimes. Guilty. There are folks that the Lord, I believe, would love to see our response to because I believe in sowing and reaping. And Pastor Vaughn Gerald, who raised me up into ministry, one of the most powerful messages he's ever preached was whatever you sow, that will you also reap. And when we sow resources, it's not just the money, it's where are we sowing it? We're sowing it to folks who've been displaced by war, by acts criminal on a, on a national scale. And if you don't understand that within our own borders, there will be a day when these realities will be very much our portion. We will love to know, I will love to know that I've sown and that I can expect a harvest of help from abroad. They don't know why we're showing up thousands of miles from our, to help build a home that's going to house people to stay who were displaced by war, who'd have nothing to go back to, women, children, people with nothing but just a tent to live under. This is not just an abstraction. It's not just some, uh, this is a chance to sow because I fully believe we'll desire and want to know that we have harvest coming because what we've sown, that is what we're going to reap. I love the confidence that comes knowing that the Lord looks over the seed that we give. He ensures that it prospers in the purpose for which it was sent. And so I just want to leave you with that. And let me just pray quickly. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together. Lord, we're encouraged by your word, but not just encouraged for ourselves so that we can feel better. We're encouraged to know that there's purpose, that there's need, that there's realities on this planet that need to be changed by your bride, by your church, by your hands and by your feet, who are left here for a purpose, that when you return, we would be found doing the thing that you left us here to do. So Lord, I just pray that you just bless Jared and Charlene, bless this ministry that you've called them to be the heads of. And Lord, I just thank you that provision will come, not just enough, but that an abundance will be available to them, Lord. Lord, we desire to know that we have been faithful with what we've been given. And Lord, I just thank you because you're here with us and you look over our lives. It's not men that we have to worry about. It's not what people think. It's you, Father. And this morning, there's just a sense that your Holy Spirit is refining and burning inside of us in a way that's changing us from the inside out. 
And Lord, we thank you for that. We don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. We thank you that you've promised to be with us to the end of this age that we find ourselves in. For your glory, Lord. We go out rejoicing and thankful that you've given us this day to share with those who are around us that we would go together, Lord. We would go together because we want to go far, Father. In Jesus' name.